We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. All right, it's great to be back with another installment of the BB Ally podcast series. During our last episode, I had the chance to check in with the team at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where social justice was the theme of the day. It's a campus that's been committed to social justice since its founding, and that's a theme that's going to continue in today's episode. I'm here in the Bay Area, California, at the birthplace of the free speech movement, the University of California at Berkeley. We're both at the campus and in the surrounding cities. The advocacy for people with disabilities and for historically marginalized communities is really at the core of the campus, the core of the community culture. So I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity first to have a conversation with accessibility evangelist Lucy Greco, aka The Punisher. She earned that nickname both for her fierce and relentless commitment to accessibility advocacy, as well as for her achievements on the goalball court. Lucy represented Canada in the Paralympics, helped bring home a bronze medal with her rocket arm. So I'm very fortunate to have a chance to sit down with a true accessibility champion, somebody who's been bulldozing barriers both in her personal life as well as for the students she works with here on campus. Lucy also serves as a special advisor to the Blackboard Ally team. She's brought her unique knowledge and expertise about accessibility to help inform some of the early designs and features of Blackboard Ally. So we'll get a chance to hear from her about how Blackboard Ally is impacting accessibility at the campus here at UC Berkeley. So I'm very excited to have the opportunity to sit down with two inclusive learning champions, Lucy Greco and Dr. Joseph Feria Galicia. I am Lucy Greco. I am an assistive technology specialist for UC Berkeley. My, my title is assistive Te or access technology evangelist, and I lead the accessibility initiative for UC. How did you get involved in the accessibility game? So I have been in the accessibility game for many, many years. I am totally blind and I, of course, was interested in access technology and assistive technology for myself when I was a student going through school. And I became an expert in the field by just using and accessing and working with products myself. What were some of the barriers that you experienced growing up as a student? So the biggest barrier was access to information. Being able to go to the library like every other student and access articles. You know, in the days where I was going to school, we still had periodical reference guides and everything was in paper. Being able to go through and get that kind of information without assistance from somebody else, you know, I was restricted to the nine to five when the reference for librarian was available. And as computers became more used and technology became more digital, those barriers slowly dwindled. Things like STEM, were very, very difficult to access. There was no digitizing of STEM content early on. Uh, I think today we have a lot better access to those topics and areas. And uh, tell me a little bit about the history here at Berkeley around supporting just people with disability. This is like the home of where some of that, that stuff started, right? Yeah, so 
early on in the late 60s, there was a group of about four or five different students who had various disabilities, uh, the most famous of which was a gentleman called um, Ed Roberts. And Ed Roberts was a polio victim who uh, used an iron lung for, I think, about two-thirds to three-quarters of every day and was a young man who came here to Berkeley to go to school and Berkeley was challenged to uh, work with him and accommodate him and his peers. I think there was a gentleman who was blind in the group, a couple of other chair users who weren't, um, you know, various levels of disability. And this group of people uh, became known as the rolling disabled. They came to Berkeley and they challenged our image of people with disability. They, they challenged our understanding of the capabilities of people with disabilities. And they won a lot of victories. They won the right to be able to go to what classes they wanted, when they wanted. They won the right to demand uh, that the classrooms be made accessible and started the whole disability rights movement. Berkeley soon became known as kind of a a mecca for people with disabilities. We actually had a really good program for many, many years where students with disabilities would come here specifically because we were more welcoming and more open and had more services for people with disabilities. Uh, this was our disabled students residence program where students who may have had physical disabilities of various degrees who had been taken care of by mom and dad their entire lives or their entire realm of their disability, say they were you know, injured at age 10, something like that. They would come here not only to go to school, but they would come here to learn how to become independent disabled adults and you know, learn how to work through the system of disability, learn how to get the appropriate supports, everything from how to hire a personal care attendant to getting a master's of business or a PhD in economics. All the rest of those, all those things were a big package at Berkeley and those students with disabilities were always welcomed and very friendly so because of that we had a very rich disabled community. You know there's a, a certain condition of causing disabilities where we actually have the highest percentage of people living with that disability in Berkeley because they all came here to school because we could support them. And how long have you been here at Berkeley? I've been here for almost 15 years now. And what was it like when you first got here? How digital were things? Things were just on the verge of becoming digital. I was hired to be an access technology consultant for the students. My role was working with the students specifically and helping evaluate their needs and then helping them match them to assistive technologies. So a student would come in who didn't have the use of their hands and I could help them determine, you know, do we give them an on-screen keyboard? Did we give them, you know, use of eye gaze? Did we pair them with speech dictation software? So it was my role to kind of like look at their ability, pair them with assistive technology to make their journey through Berkeley go better and go more effectively. And, you know, to jump to the next part of that question, how is it different? Today I'm actually working at a more systemic level. Instead of working with students firefighting, individual problems and individual cases, I'm now working to improve the environment overall for these students so that when they come here, they have less of a challenge with each and individual program or every course, that the courses are designed accessibly and everything works on an accessible basis. So then when they know how to use their own technology, 
they don't have to be challenged by you know every single phase of the process. And what's been one of the most challenging parts of your job as things have gone digital? Um, getting the news and getting the information into the hands that need it the most. Getting people like faculty to know about the tools that they could use to become more accessible. Getting them to even realize that they were accessible or were not accessible. That's always been a big barrier. Um, you know, people in my industry have always worked at a firefighting type of role where we were basically drinking from the fire hose and trying to catch up and you know we had a student who had this problem and they were in this course and we had to fix that for them. The biggest problem has always been getting ahead of the problem, getting to faculty and trying to fix the problems before they happen. Being able to you know help people realize what accessibility means is is actually really the key point. Having people actually recognize inaccessible and accessible before the problem occurs has been a primary problem. Maybe just going back kind of broadly, so are you seeing now accessibility becoming more a part of the conversation with faculty and, or with the kind of course experience? I always, of course, would like it to be more, but definitely faculty are interested, faculty are engaged. Um, faculty aren't aware of where the inaccessible barriers lay at this point in time, but when they are, they jump on and they, they grab it and they, they, they embrace that whole thing. Faculty really care about accessibility. You know, something I've been known to say before is, is we faculty teach to teach everyone and give everyone the information they can. And when they realize that a person with a disability might not get that information, and might not have access to the information. They want to have that be accessible. They just don't know. They're not aware that what they're doing is blocking somebody from being engaged in their course. And as soon as we, we introduce something to them, they love it. They, you know, they embrace that whole idea of teaching and reaching more at the same time. And what's been the biggest challenge for faculty in making accessible content? I think the tools that they've been provided are limited and I think as we provide tools and resources for faculty it will become easier for them. I mean, we had a study here just done just last year on the authoring tools themselves that people are using to create content and the big problem is, is authoring tools themselves may have accessibility features built into them to make accessible content but they're not the default setting. It's not something, you know, if you go into Microsoft Word to create accessible documents and all the accessibility checks are not on by default. You know, actually labeling the graphics, which Microsoft Word does really well now, is not on by default. And so the big, the big barrier is, is knowing where to go to change the problem. And faculty didn't even know that there was a problem that they needed to change. So getting the information to them about where the, you know, where the barriers are and then helping them find the path, the easy path, that's going to be the challenge is the easy path. Because even though accessibility is a very easy thing, sometimes that pathway can be blocked. Mm. Do you see that a lot with like publisher content? Uh, yes, some publishers create content that's inaccessible by default and you have to go through all kinds of hoops and loops to get to that content in an accessible way. Uh, more and more publishers are actually thinking about accessibility and working on their accessibility. 
so we are getting improvements. We're not there yet. I think the longer we work at this and the longer we talk about the default experience being accessible, we will actually, you know, we'll achieve this. In a few years, I think we're going to have, you know, the scales tip in the other direction, but right now we're still very balanced with some publishers are making good content, some publishers are making bad content. Some publishers are making great choices for accessibility, others are making bad choices. And what about, let's shift gears a little bit more to kind of theory stuff, the relationship between accessibility and universal design, universal design for learning. So universal design for learning is an excellent concept because it talks about the fact that everyone should be able to learn in their own way. However, people get fixated on it sometimes as a way to get content accessible. And I want to remind people that for content to be universally accessible, it actually has to start with accessible content because you can't talk about ways to teach content and expect that those ways will be the way you make it content accessible. If you're presenting a file as a picture and you're presenting a file as a video and you're presenting you know, the content in four different ways, if every single one of those ways is inaccessible, you've got universal design. You've got something that works for multiple different people. You have to start with accessible content and then move to the universal design or the universal you know, design for education. I, it, I kind of dread when people talk, start talking about UDL because they think that UDL is the answer for accessibility and I think UDL requires accessibility before it can work. Tell me a little bit about your involvement with Ally. So I've been involved with Ally since very early on in that the founders came to me early on and said we, we've got this tool and we, we would like you to know we would like you to help us see how it's working and they you know they gave me early access to some of the content that they were remediating and some of this and I looked at it and you know they first came to me and I was very skeptical and they said we remediate documents to make them much more accessible and I'm like yeah everybody says they do that nobody does it and then I actually looked at the the full product and understood how they were working and first of all they were doing a very reasonable job of remediating the content but the really exciting thing for me was looking at the whole product as a as a package and they were doing one thing that nobody had thought about doing before which was going in and catching faculty early on in their process maybe not at the beginning but early enough that as they were uploading content into their courses catching those faculty and saying hey let's take a look at this this is accessible this is inaccessible and so i i worked with them very closely you know from the very beginning to say, you know, this is the things we need to emphasize. These are the things we need to look at. And, you know, I've, I've always, you know, monitored it and respected the product because it's given me as a professional in academia a tool I've never had before. I've never had access to go up to faculty and say, let's look at your content and see if your content is accessible. First of all, at a university like Berkeley, there's, the scale is just too large. You know, maybe if there was a hundred faculty at this university, I could do that. I can't do that at Berkeley. We have, you know, a lot more than a hundred faculty members, and most of them aren't willing to talk to a staff member because they've got busy lives and all the rest of that. So, 
Ally gets the faculty right where they are and gives them the information in small digestible bites, which is what's really, really important. Right now, they're getting messaging about big concepts, the big idea of accessibility. And how do we even begin to talk about that? You know, do we talk about learning disability? Do we talk about, you know, physical disability? Do we talk about access to cognitive barriers? No, we have to talk about small, minuscule little things. Do your images have labels? Get them to work on things and give them bite-sized, digestible information. And that's what Ally, you know, I saw as the value right early on at the beginning. It's like, oh my God, you mean I can actually get a, a faculty member to know that a PDF they've created is a scanned image? You know, forget about remediating that PDF for them, which Ally did do, but just letting them know that, you know, inherently what you're uploading blocks a percentage of the population from actually accessing the content. Mm. And how have you seen the product evolve over the years? It has evolved through leaps and bounds. First of all, the algorithms they're using are getting better and better. We're looking at different products. We're, you know, we're looking at different campuses, different universities around the world now and seeing similarities in education. It's giving us great insight into where academia is. It's telling us what people are doing right and people are doing wrong for accessibility. And the product is evolving by working more with universities and helping us, first of all, see where our, where our problems are. You know, going through and seeing that campus, that campus I work on has, you know, X number of files that are PDFs. So maybe we need to work on PDFs. It's giving us, you know, ways to approach the problem that we've never had access to before. And tell me a little bit about kind of the data review today and the first, you know, three months of rollout. It was really exciting to go through our data review and, and see that faculty were engaging with content and changing content. That was really, really quite rewarding for me. I mean, it was, it was nice to see that we had a lot of content, but that the content wasn't also all bad. There was some content that was in there that actually had some promise. Um, but it also gave us some really good guidance as to where we need to go next. We still have a lot of images being uploaded, not as many as we would have thought. So that was actually interesting to see that faculty are moving away from uploading images. Uh, but we still have people putting in scanned PDFs and getting those fixed is going to be critical and key. I mean, it was great though, because we now have a snapshot of where we are, what we're doing and what kind of content we're creating. We know that you know, PDFs are the number one thing that we're doing on our campus, so we have to find a better way of creating those PDFs. And what are you seeing as maybe the next steps in the process? So the next steps in the process is, of course, to continue using Ally. That's going to be really important to keep engaging and to start communicating ways and means for people to do the things they're doing more effectively. So we need to start providing our faculty with the tools and easy access to the tools and provide them with easy to understand guidance on how to use the tools. So we need to encourage people, hey, use Microsoft Word and maybe upgrade your copy of Microsoft Word so that you're using the most advanced version of it. And these are the quick steps on how to check your product. You know, literally get the messaging through to them. And I think starting to provide places and ways for them to understand how to do what they're doing better 
that are focused specifically on what the reports are telling us. You know, so the number one problem is scanned PDFs. So what kind of things can we do to stop those scanned PDFs? Do we have to go around and find out where those photocopiers are that are only scanning images and providing images and maybe install OCR functions on them? That's maybe one solution, but there's got to be others as well. We, we, we've got to start coming up with fast, easy fixes. And what's most exciting do you see in the horizon for accessibility technologies? Um, the fact that STEM is becoming more accessible is really important to me. The fact that we can now do math or chemistry or biology or physics online and that it's actually becoming more accessible, I think it's going to make it not only accessible to people with disabilities, but it's going to make it accessible to third world countries. People can learn more. People can engage with content. And understand it. That's, you know, education can benefit from technology if it's done right. You know, one thing we didn't talk about yet is like the alternative formats. And so, just from a person with a visual impairment, I mean, what's the value of being able to get an alternative format? I'm going to throw that back at you and say that the value for everyone is that you get to learn in the way you want to learn. Maybe you're a commuter and you want to listen to an MP3 file because you know you're driving and you can't you can't take your eyes off the road to read the book. Maybe you're a person who is a tactile learner and you want to be able to engage with an HTML file and move your way through that HTML file and see the links and connections within it. Maybe you are a person who needs to see and hear to understand. So you're going to listen to it, then you're going to read it. You know, if you're a blind and visually impaired person and somebody does give you that scanned image, being able to download it as an HTML file or a PDF you know, gives you the benefit that you currently have to wait you know, up to seven weeks to get that converted by your disabled students program. You, know, you can download that alternative format and have a file within instances, seconds, that you didn't have access to before. You had to go to somebody else and say, can you remediate this? Now you have access to it yourself. And because people can engage with those, for, those formats and pick whichever format they want, that means they can absorb it whatever way they want, when they want, how they want, where they want. How has it been uh, for the Disability Services Office in terms of you know, providing equitable access at scale? How challenging is that? It's incredibly. It's incredibly challenging. You know, we have well over, I think it's close to 2,000 students right now with disabilities many of which require alternative formats and you know we have to hire a lot of staff to do that. I think there is currently six to eight staff right now doing alternative media conversion. That's a lot of people. That's huge and we're just serving, I, I think the number I heard was 125 students specifically with that. It's taking up to seven weeks to get them their content. Some students are getting material on what we call a just-in-time basis. So you're covering topic X next week in the course, you're getting the material this week. You're not getting it before the semester. You know, a lot of students like to go through their textbook ahead of time and get the ideas and concepts. You know, students will sometimes read the book before the semester even starts. Yes, very few of them, but there are students who will do that. If you're a disabled student and you're in a very, you know, complex area like chemistry or science of some sort, we may not be able to get that material to you in an accessible format ahead of time. Any closing thoughts? 
I think for schools out there getting just getting started with Ally. The closing thought is is to see where you're at, look at you know thinking about the Ally tool, use this tool as a way to engage and gather information about where you need to train, where you need to reach out to people and figure out what the support mechanisms you can afford to give people are. You know, educational institutions are you know, desperately in need of funding to do things. Using something like Ally to target what's most important in your institution, maybe, maybe you don't have as many PDFs as we do. Maybe you have images that's your problem. Come up with really effective ways of communicating about how to make those things more accessible to your campus by using the Ally tool, you know, uh, and you know, make sure that your faculty find the tool as a as a help, not as a threat or a um, a hindrance to their to their getting you know from step from point A to point B. Point out that this tool is there to make them better people. That's that's the number one thing to focus on. If you say to them, you know, you may actually face penalties if you're not actually correcting your files, nobody's gonna to wanna to use the tool. But hey, we're providing you this so you can reach out to more students and be more effective. You know, engage with it, let us know where it's failing you, let us know where it's assisting you. You will form a partnership between, you know, your faculty and your audience. and be able to engage more effectively and be able to get to a point where accessibility is part of the culture, which is where you want to be. You don't want accessibility to be a mandate. You don't want accessibility to be something that's tacked on at the end. You want people to think about accessibility as a cultural, you know, important thing in the organization and have everyone be a part of that community. Really inspiring to hear from Lucy. I think the thing that stands out to me is just how important it is to reach faculty in their workflow. For so many years, Lucy's been trying to connect with faculty about the importance of accessibility and how to author accessible content. And now with a tool like Blackboard Ally, she's able to spark that conversation inside the LMS that point of contact so important for moving the conversation forward and giving the faculty the tools and skills they need to create more equitable learning experiences. And now we'll have the chance to hear from accessibility team lead, Dr. Joseph Feria Galicia, who has been leading the Blackboard Ally rollout at UC Berkeley. Joe has a background in instructional design and was working with faculty in designing accessible online courses working with Lucy Greco to build in those accessibility best practices. Now, as the Allied team lead, he's actually working with the existing courses, helping put in the strategies and the communications and the trainings in place to help those faculty take their existing content and start to make it accessible using Blackboard Allied. I'm Joe Federigalicia, I'm the accessibility team lead with UC Berkeley, and I'm also the Allied service lead on campus. And just tell me a little bit about your background in working with uh, accessibility and students with disability. Sure, I've been here on campus for five years and uh, started off with the Berkeley Resource Center for Online Education. Became an accessibility team lead right after and uh, making sure that our online content is accessible, both the course content and the download files. Providing a number of workshops to instructional designers and uh, helping with policy as well. And you, your background is in instructional design? My background is uh, educational policy studies and educational technology. 
But yeah, I was an instructional designer for a number of years as well. Uh, the instructional design work was one of the reasons why I was hired originally. The team was amazing and I learned a great deal. They were doing a lot of work in terms of uh, providing content in smaller modules, making sure there's alternative forms of assessment, and you know, making sure like the online courses are navigable. So they had a lot of good universal design concepts implemented. But in terms of the course content, like using headings, things like that, and the download files, uh, I was able to help out with that, you know, back in 2012, I believe. Nice. So you kind of got involved then with Ally, becoming the service lead with Ally. So maybe just kind of thinking back before Ally, like what, for supporting students with diverse needs and not just those disclosed, you know, what kind of practices and strategies have been put in place to support those students? Yeah, so in terms of online content, UC Berkeley has been slow to adopt uh, online courses, but the UC Extension was the model on campus. And again, like I mentioned earlier, the course content that the Berkeley Resource Center for Online Education was creating involved breaking the content down into smaller chunks, you know, using the modules, using good navigation, a consistent navigation, consistent layout. For the most part, you know, color contrast was really good. Yeah, just trying to reach diverse learners that way. But the content itself, uh, in terms of like headings and the download files, weren't necessarily looked upon uh, originally back in, in 2012. Mm-hmm. And but it, you know, as soon as we brought it up, the, it was embraced, and then we've created a number of course templates, Word templates, PowerPoint templates, and just really embrace the training model right away within that Berkeley Resource Center for Online Education. That was recently broken up so that we could bring the expertise on campus and the new organization that is leading the push is Digital Learning Services, or DLS. They also implement a digital learning initiative campus-wide, and we're accepting grant opportunities for faculty to learn how to create their course content using inclusive design. That's happening, you know, this spring and into the summer and next fall. What's that? That's cool. What's that consist of? Like the grant, what kind of strategies are they incorporating in that inclusive design? Yeah, well, just the use of an accessible Canvas template is really key. We've tested the template itself using uh, Lucidi Graco's um, uh, web access team. And so we created, you know, the proper navigation with, you know, with the skip twos for uh, screen reader users. Again, breaking things down into smaller modules, chunking the videos into smaller, you know, like eight minute videos instead of 13 or 20 minute videos, making sure everything's captioned. Also just trying to focus on accessible content, the download files as well. So we do a lot of workshops as well around Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, and Adobe Acrobat to get folks up to speed. Nice. Have you started those yet? They're starting this this spring. This spring they're yeah. starting those? Yeah. And faculty have already been selected for that? Yeah, they've already there's been a few that have been offered and uh, yeah, they're getting started. The other initiative is helped by the Digital Learning Service Team is the Adobe Fellows Program. And that is a program that takes advantage of the UC Berkeley's license for Adobe products. So we have 12 faculty from American Cultures that are embracing you know, students using things like Adobe Spark or Premiere or Rush 
or Photoshop into their curriculum. So instead of traditional multiple choice tests or essays, they're able to produce podcasts or videos or infographics to, to share their learning within the classroom. And for those, we're encouraging students to produce content that has, uh, you know, the proper use of captioning, described video, color contrast, things of that sort, so that they're producing accessible content as well. And that's, that's happening right now. Yeah. So you guys are doing audio description on the videos? We're encouraging to describe it before the need for AD at, at the end so that they're describing it as the recording is taking place. Gotcha, gotcha. So they're, you're not using any special software to do that? We have tested out um, three plays audio description, and it's actually really good. Yeah? The, when you pause, that's extended audio description. So then in, instead of a five-minute video that's originally shot, you know, it could turn into a seven- or eight-minute video because of the added yeah. description. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, their service is really good. How'd you learn all this accessibility stuff? It's not in your background. Yeah, well, my brother went blind back in 96 at the age of 39, and I helped install JAWS on his computer and just saw how his access to the online community gave him hope for life in a lot of ways. You know, it lifted his morale. You know, I've, I've been involved in different social justice endeavors, and didn't make the connection until much later that, you know, this type of access to historically marginalized communities is, it embraces uh, people with disabilities as well. You know, so my brother's experience is one. And then, you know, I was at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and they were using a mascot that, a Native American mascot that was impacting a student retention for Native people, people of color. Someone at the university let us know that the website that we were using and our our PDF files weren't accessible and, again, making that connection to social justice and, you know, quickly learned how to code websites with uh, CSS and headings and then, you know, slowly producing PDFs in an accessible way. Yeah. It was easier to learn the websites and the PDFs? Well, at the time, it was just more um, more pertinent for the website. But yeah, PDFs are, are a big quagmire, and uh, nobody likes doing them. And yeah, I wish there was a different way. Hopefully, things like EPUB will help replace those, um, or just straight HTML. But yeah, PDFs are, are everyone's burden. Let's switch a little bit to Ally. So first, when did you first get introduced to Ally? So uh, while we were at the Berkeley Resource Center for Online Education, uh, Nicolas actually, he came to a workshop that we had on tables, accessible tables, and that's when we first met him. And then he, he needed pilot participants back. This was probably, we we're probably one of the first ones to pilot it at the UC Extension. I didn't really pay attention to it much because all of our indicators were green at the time because we were pre-remediating all our content. You know, it wasn't until some of the instructional designers might add a PDF file or a a Word file that wasn't remediated, and then we would see the indicators. Yeah, it was just a really good way of of triangulating our work. I think, what was it? We actually presented with with Nicolas at at CSUN on Ally and shared with the the community our best practices in producing online content. So that was our initial endeavor with Ally. And then now that we're on campus, it's a different model. We don't have a lot of instructional designers creating content for the rest of the campus. So we're able to see the beauty of Ally in terms of informing the community of the course content and the download files. 
And so tell me a little bit about the process just now in kind of preparing to roll out Allied to the campus. Sure. Like last semester, thinking about last semester, what, what the process was. Yeah, so we reached out to our Center for Teaching and Learning to recruit 15, actually it was 11 faculty that had um, in 15 courses. Yeah, this took place in the fall of 2018, and we had an array of different users. Some of them were very enthusiastic about Ally. Some of them just were, you know, participating as a favor, didn't really pay attention to the indicators, and then others were willing to you know, select the indicators and try to make some fixes themselves. But for the most part, we found it a positive experience because it worked and there weren't very many service calls. There weren't any service calls. So we were able to launch it without without much support. Uh, we had support in place, but our fears were that we would be overwhelmed with service calls. Because it seamlessly integrates with Canvas, I think a lot of people just went along with it, didn't notice it too much. You know, I did go to a couple of classes and showed the students the alternative formats, and they were very enthusiastic. And that was another reason why we wanted to launch a little earlier because of student enthusiasm for the alternative formats. So part of what we had to build was, uh, uh, you know, our service page, you know, with resources, frequently asked questions, training our help desk on how to respond to urgent questions, and our teaching and learning service team had a long history of uh, launching new services, and so they had um, templates for launch, and, you know, it's just really helpful to work with a, a group of experienced individuals that were very enthusiastic about the hopes of Ally and getting it implemented. So yeah, so we, we launched on January 11th, 2019. You know, we were a little worried about the amount of service calls that we would get, but we've since launched, and uh, it's today's the 21st, we've only received two service calls, and both of them had to do with helping their course materials more accessible. We've also had some some instructors come into office hours. They just want to know how to make their course more accessible because they don't want the red indicators. So it's been really positive overall. It's galvanized us to work across other units, other departments. You know, we're working with Lucy's team, the Web Access team, with the Disability Students Program, with the library, with alternative media, and with uh, equity and inclusion now. And it's the first time in, in my recollection that this has happened. So the momentum that Ally is providing on campus is, I think, leading toward culture change around accessibility issues, which is something that's really needed and that's going to help deepen our understanding of what accessibility is on campus. Can you elaborate maybe just why you didn't see a faculty reaction? you know, like there wasn't that many service calls and that there wasn't the kind of pushback, because that's obviously, it was a fear here, it's a fear at a lot of places that if they turn it on, they're gonna get a lot of pushback. You know, what in your mind was the reason that they didn't, you didn't have that? Well, no matter what, if faculty gets a letter of accommodation, then they're gonna get support from Disability Students Program and Alternative Media to produce that alternative content more accessibly. There is no mandate for faculty to produce accessible content right now. They're not reprimanded. They're just provided with the indicators, and that's it, you know? So they could choose to ignore them, and I think that's what a lot of them are doing. There's 
I guess, you know, based on the data yesterday, you know, there are a number of faculty that are, you know, clicking through the, the red indicators and making content more accessible. But again, there's no mandate, there's no penalty. And then we have our disability students program to take care of our legal mandates, you know, overall. So, so it's kind of a safe place right now. And, you know, we do have support in terms of the disability students program. Yeah, that's, I'm just assuming that's what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, it makes, that makes a lot of sense. What about when you presented the alternative formats to students, how did they respond to it? Oh, they, they applauded. They were like, wow, this is really helpful. They were uh, very enthusiastic about the HTML or the mobile devices and, and the audio as well. You know, I, I would get a, a you know, a ovations, you know, when my workshops were done, not, not because of my content, but because of the, uh, the alternative formats is just really needed, I think, within the student life right now. Yeah. You think it's like uh, the nature of the campus where you've got a lot of students relying on mobile and English language learners or just think it's a general need in education to have that kind of access? Yeah, we do have a lot of second language learners on campus, a lot of international students. They were particularly the ones that were asking questions and were beta testing the translation tool. And I think that was another functionality that was well received. We're not really a commuter school, but, you know, student life is really, really busy and they're just so used to mobile devices. I think that anything that they could consume on their on their mobile devices is going to be helpful for them in terms of their academic performance. Yeah. And you've been creating a ton of uh, training resources and things like that. Yeah. So that's another thing, you know, just because we're not receiving service requests or, or service calls doesn't mean that the, the need isn't there. You know, we've produced, you know, I do workshops around Adobe Acrobat and Microsoft Word, you know, so we just created content around that so that it's more of a self-service model and it's been well received as well. And it's open for everyone. It's available for anyone outside of our campus as well to use. Nice. Before we get to the what's next, what about uh, working with the consulting team, Krista Greer and, and that team? Was that helpful and for you and kind of getting the strategy and the communications in place? Yeah, so Krista Greer is really amazing. John Scott as well, been really helpful. I mean, whenever we have questions where we get responses within 24 hours, you know, the fact that they're able to put us in contact with other institutions, similar institutions, is really helpful as well. I think one of the most helpful was getting in contact with Chico State, Jeremy Ogin, who you know, who shared his experience of, you know, when they turn on the, the Ally tool, you know, he went to his office and just waited for the service calls and, and nothing really came. And that that was really helpful as well. It, it helped alleviate some of our apprehensions about turning on the tool in the first place. But overall, um, you know, whenever we would have meetings and it, it our meetings with uh, the Blackboard support team, it involved our librarian, our alternative media specialists, and then our web access representative as well. So we were communicating across units and that, that communication was more rich because of that. And it, you know, it wouldn't have happened without Krista's leadership um, and your leadership as well. So we've continued on those relationships and strengthened them. You know, just not feeling alone and um, anticipating possible pain points. And then just the reminders, all of that has been really helpful. It's been invaluable. Nice, man. And so what's next? So you're rolled out to the whole campus. 
what are you thinking about for your next steps? Yeah, so we're going to continue our, um, our workshops and building online content for self-service. We're reaching out to our graduate student instructors as well to see if we get them on board with some of the content remediation efforts. We've looked at Penn State and Washington University's liaison programs and where they train. It's a train-the-trainer model for um, around accessibility across our different units so that we could spread our expertise and continue to impact the culture that looks at accessibility from new ways is you know involved with pre-remediation as much as possible. Is that the biggest challenge right now? Especially going through the data review yesterday, if you were going to think about your content challenge. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the issues is, you know, we're a research uh, one institution and, you know, it, it might not be fair to expect instructors to remediate themselves. So trying to figure out some alternative models that instructors could be supported and that's going to definitely involve uh, support staff uh, across campus looking at content creation right from the beginning. And, you know, if folks are aware of what is needed in order to produce accessible documents, then uh, they're more likely to do so. And it's not that difficult. It's actually very efficient once you learn how to um, use styles in, in Word or um, you know, learn how to, how to tag uh, PDF files. It's not that difficult if you're working from the source files. Nice, Joe. I think that's it, man. Anything else you want to touch on? Oh, just uh, your world tour is really uh, intrigued a lot of us, and we're really excited that uh, you're going to be presenting today. We have over uh, 33 people that are registered for the event. You know, it's helped us continue in our accessibility endeavors, and your, your support has been really, you know, really helpful for us to reach new staff, new faculty, and I really appreciate it. Has it been fun for you? Like, you did, like, some presentations and stuff on Ally. Is it fun to represent a product like this, given your passions for this subject? Well, Ally has gotten so much better since we first, you know, previewed it when, when you know, I was part of the Brookie Resource Center for Online Education. So part of that is my belief in the product itself. You know, it, it's, uh, it's very strong. There's a lot of depth to it, and the roadmap just seems really promising. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to associate myself with the product itself and the influence that it's having on campus. But yeah, it, it has been fun. And that concludes another episode of the Blackboard Ally podcast series. It's really great to hear from Joe and Lucy about how they've been implementing Blackboard Ally at the UC Berkeley campus. I think it's another example where we see that faculty, they really do want to do the right thing by their students. They want to provide those equitable learning experiences for all their students. And it's just a matter of working with them to find the time, find the strategies and the best practices to help them make accessibility part of their course design experiences. And be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode of the Blackboard Ally podcast series, where we'll be traveling back across the country to Gaston College in North Carolina, where we'll be talking with Kim Gelsinger and Karen Duncan about how they are using data-rich insights from Blackboard Ally to systematically improve the accessibility of their courses. Until next time, see you on the road to Inclusivity. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac.
You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AlliedTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Allied Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclusivity.